0: Voice of Tangaroa is a collaboration between New Zealand Geographic and RNZ. Reporting for this series is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.
1: Every single time I open an audio file, I hear something new. Every time, and I've been, you know, looking at this for a while now, and there's just so little we know about it. This is Dr Jenny Stanley
2: of the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute and the University of Waikato.
1: It's awesome. Like, it's kind of, it's crazy. People just say, how, doesn't that bother you? I'm like, sometimes, but no, also not at all, because I'm like, wow, it's good to hear that there's a lot going on down there.
2: She studies underwater soundscapes, so all of the layers of sound and how they change across time. Think of being on a bushwalk and the things you might hear.
1: You kind of categorise them in your head, like, oh, you hear the wind and you hear the birds and you hear the river that you're walking past. It's kind of all that. It's like the biological, the abiotic, so the wind and the waves and the, you know, river, and then the aeroplane going overhead. Her colleague in underwater sound
2: research, Professor Craig Radford from the University of Auckland, has some science terms to group them. There's geophony... Natural sound, excluding animals.
3: Rain on the surface, wind, waves, underwater earthquakes, underwater volcanoes. And then there's the biophony, so that's the sounds the animals make.
2: And then there's anthropophony, All the noise that we're making. Recreational and commercial boats. Large shipping vessels. Trawling, dredging, and other sounds that are even more intrusive.
3: Marine construction's a big one, pole driving. It's real impulsive and quite loud. Another activity that creates a lot of controversy is seismic surveying, so searching for oil and gas under the seabed. Uh, That creates a huge amount of noise.
2: And of course this last category of sound, anthropony, is increasing.
3: Basically, since the Industrial Revolution, the underwater soundscapes have got noisier due to man-made um, noise, and it's only really recently, with, uh, with research that's shown that animals rely on sound for lots of different things, that we're um, starting to understand what these effects of anthropophony are having on these marine animals.
2: Ocean creatures make all kinds of sounds. Some you're probably familiar with. The haunting song of the humpback whale. (coughs) Dolphins whistling to each other to communicate. Or echolocation clicks sperm whales use to find food. Others you might find surprising, like the groans, pops and creaks that are part of the southern right whale's repertoire. Or the interesting sounds that smaller animals make.
3: Classic example is John Dory, and they produce a sound that's been termed the bark because they basically sound like a dog. Gurnard's grunt. Another good example that we've recently found is the crustacean zip, and that basically sounds like doing up a zip on a jacket.
2: What kind of crustaceans make a zip?
3: Pedal Crab, oh, so that's the, the, Petal Crab Z- sound. the New Zealand Pedal Crab.
2: It's got some great sounds, doesn't it? It's so they can it.
3: produce three different types of sounds. Um, there's the zip, then there's a really low frequency sound that um, we termed the bass, and then there's an, another sound called the rasp.
0: I think I'm starting to see why Jenny Stanley gets so excited when she listens back to her hydrophone recordings. These sounds are amazing. Like the grunting gurnard. I, I love that. Who even knew?
2: My favourite is the pedal crab.
0: <laughs> yeah, like a one man band. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but we don't necessarily know why they make the sound. Is that right?
2: Yeah, in some cases we do, but in lots of cases we don't yet. There are so many ways that animals use sound, and we're just starting to figure some of them out. For example, some of Jenny's previous research was investigating how sound could influence tiny little crab larvae.
1: If you play a habitat sound from a healthy habitat that they would grow up in, you could get metamorphosis or the, you know, the molten to the next juvenile faster than if you played... Um, habitat sound from a habitat that they wouldn't live in or compared to a silent control but that's just
2: one thing at one point in their lives finding food wooing mates coordinating spawning avoiding predators keeping track of their babies intimidating rivals navigating communicating we know fish mammals and crustaceans use underwater sound for all of these so it's a riot of sound down there like here's one of jenny's hydrophone recordings every pop Snap and crackle is being made by someone or something, but it's difficult in a vibrant undersea world like this, with a chorus happening, to match the sound with the musician. Often, it's down to serendipity, says Craig.
3: Like we see it or we hear it underwater, we'll go catch the animal, put it in a tank, put in a hydrophone, and we'll get them making the noise. Paddle crabs are a good example. They are in a tank for a field course. And I was down in the tank room one day and I heard these funny sounds and just poked my head over the top and there was a crab like, doing the zip. So then we just put a hydrophone in with them and we found out they produce all these three different types of sounds.
0: So the paddle crabs and others are down there jamming out, zipping and barking and whistling. But, and I guess we are going to get to this, what happens when we drive a boat past?
2: Well, yeah, they evolved in a quieter ocean without the cacophony that we're adding, so they're not used to it. There's a sliding scale to how our noise impacts them.
3: You know, at the very far end of the scale, cause them to die, like through rupturing organs and stuff. And then, and then the scale gets less, but the effects get more wide. Like you can go through animals become deaf, or they have temporary threshold shifts. Um, and then, what we're really looking at is more of the behavioural changes how the sound masks or disrupts um, communication signals. So you can think of that as like the cocktail party effect. Right? If you're at a loud party, in order to communicate over distance, you either have to be louder or you have to be closer together. So those are the types of effects that are probably more common and more of what the animals actually have to deal with.
0: So ideally, you'd record in the same place with and without human activity, right? And then you would see what the difference is. How do you get everybody to stop driving boats around long enough to do this? Well, lucky timing played a part in this too. Go hard and
2: go early or risk losing tens of thousands of lives. The Prime Minister said today that it was time to ramp up the nation's response to COVID-19 to stop its spread. Craig's PhD student at the time, Louise Wilson, and a colleague, Dr Matthew Pine, had been studying the impact of small boat noise and had hydrophones out in various places in Te Moana, Te Moana Nui a Toi, the Hauraki Gulf.
3: We've done a lot of work on shipping because it's easy to do. Large ships have to carry AIS so they, you can track where they go and what they're doing, what speeds they're doing. But in a, in a place like the Hauraki Gulf where boat ownership is huge, there's potentially a greater effect of that than what the shipping activity does because it's just the sheer volume and numbers of boats that are out on the water. And because we can't track them um, like we do with sh- ships, we had to come up with alternate ways in which to try and figure out their contribution to the overall soundscape. And to do that, we coupled the hydrophones with um, land-based cameras so whenever the hydrophone turned on to record, we could get a panoramic picture of what boats were around at the time. And we were then able to um, run AI on the cameras and then on the sound data and match that activity up. So when lockdown got announced, we basically went out the next day, um, swapped all the hydrophones over, put fresh batteries and um, memory in them.
0: We are all now preparing as a nation to go into self-isolation. Staying at home is essential.
3: The ocean basically went quiet from man-made activity and we got a real good baseline of what the ocean actually sounds like without a lot of human input. So we got some really nice kind of, if you like, natural seascapes of what it would be like without human interference. We could hear over a wider area because there was a lot less noise in the Gulf. So we did some... Um, modelling of that data. We took uh, a dolphin as a marine mammal example and the big-eye fish as, as a fish example and we were able to model and show that their hearing range, the distance that they could hear over, um, significantly increased compared to what it was pre-lockdown.
2: At the Aha'aha rocks north of Waiheke, it was estimated that the range of dolphins' calls and whistles increased from about three kilometres to nearly four. Before lockdown in the Rangitoto Channel, big-eye fish would have to be within just a few metres to hear each other's strange popping noises. Without the noise pollution of boats, their acoustic range soared to nearly 155 metres. In the end, Louise's research did show that the small boats are having an impact, shorter term than the larger container ships because they move faster, but there are also way more of them, creating a near-constant hum of boat noise every day at all sites that she studied. How might we need to change our own behaviours now that we know this?
3: Well, that's the million-dollar question, right? Are you going to stop Auckland <laughs> people, especially New Zealand, where we have such a strong affinity to the ocean, not driving boats on it? I, I can never advocate for that, because to do our research, we need to drive boats. But there's um, other ways in which we can do that. And Marine Reserves is a good example... Marine reserves are typically being established to protect animals from fishing pressure, but we can also use them to protect them from sound. It's a lot harder because one of the main draw cards with marine reserves is people are encouraged to drive their boats in them and to go diving, but maybe we put some restrictions around the speeds boats are allowed to go in there or or have zones in there where boats aren't allowed to go, just being a bit more creative with the way we think about um, marine protection.
0: That was science journalist Kate Evans. She spoke to Dr Jenny Stanley of the University of Waikato and the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, and to Professor Craig Radford of the University of Auckland. Voice of Tangaroa is a joint production between RNZ's Our Changing World and New Zealand Geographic. Reporting on the Voice of Tangaroa is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air. This was a short edit. Listen to the full episode at rnz.co.nz tangaroa. Episode production was by Kate Evans, Ellen Rikers, Brianna Juratic and me, Clerken Cannon. With editing help from Phil Vine. Sound engineering was by William Saunders. Executive producers are Tim Watkin and James Brankham. Music is by Grains. Thanks so much for listening. Kō Clerken Cannon Matewa. te